Hello, everybody. Welcome to Film Code. We have a very special episode this week. I am joined by Terry McFadden, a uh, legendary, I would call it, uh, script doctor and story analyst. He's uh, been working with production studios and companies for years, ever since, what, 1998? Yeah, about two decades. Got yeah, going here now. About two decades. Under uh, the belt. Right. So uh, he offers consultation, advice, motivation, and all the other essential tools a writer is going to need. All, uh, and you can check him out on his website, storybuilderswrite.com. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Terry McFadden. Terry, how are you, sir? Phoenix, thanks for having me. I most appreciate being on your program. It's really cool to be here. You got a nice background going on back there with the light coming in from the kitchen. It's, 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 it's very nice. I appreciate Thank you. it. Thank you. Tweak that just a bit. Yes. <laughs> Thanks. Lighting is one of my favorite things to point out. So I hope I'm getting it good. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a unique light. It looks pretty cool like that from here. Thanks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Terry, thanks you. Thank you again for being on uh, Film Code. Uh, I want to dive right into it, really. So uh, for people out there who are looking to become screenwriters, what exactly is it that a script doctor does? Well, I take a look at, at TV uh, pilots, TV scripts, screenplays, uh, treatments, uh, synopsis, anything that you might have that needs work. And when I take a look at it, I look at it from a, six different aspects. I look at it from the premise. Mm -hmm. I look at the premise that you set out. Are you proving it? I'm looking at dialogue. I'm looking at story. I'm looking at structure. I'm looking at character and relationships. I'm looking at genre considerations and how you honor them. And I could break all of those down to you, but I'll take it as per question. But the way I worked it out and my methodology is that there, there are any story has six major factions to them uh, that need to be that need to be looked at. And depending on the genre, some may be not as relevant as others. But again, that depends on the genre. Science fiction story might not have a lot of uh, sappy, sappy, quirky comedy things in the story. So we take it as per story, as per genre, and we go from there. But those six categories are very much relevant and they need to be addressed in some fashion in any script, TV pilot, uh, teleplay, or anything that you want to put out there on any platform. Uh, web series, same thing. Interesting. So how did, exactly did you get started uh, in script doctoring? Well, I, I came to California. I, I was a musician as a young man, as a kid, grew up as a musician, rock and roll guy. And um, I became an actor and I was in a I, I, I used to write in college before I came out to California. But when I got to California, I got into a theater company, two different theater companies. And we started working on material and doing workshops and that. And I was at a certain theater in Los Angeles on Highland Avenue. And I was watching people go up and do work and do all kinds of scene work. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't allowed to go up yet because I was I had to clean up and sweep in the back. I was really new. And I decided to myself looking at it, I was aggravated that I was out sweeping up while people were up on stage and I'm out there picking up Coke bottles <laughs> like this, you know, right. I wrote a scene. I wrote a scene uh, right then and there and innately from college or whatever, I took it back to my other theater company and it was pretty good. And we started workshopping it from there. I started writing little scenes for that company company 
little scenes turned into 10 minute plays in one acts and we started producing them. Then I started getting produced in other theaters. And that's how I started it. Now, I, I went on to become a script doctor because I went back to college and did the UCLA and uh, a, you know, uh, AFI and all the usual ones. And I got better at my craft as I as I went along as a young man. And then I just started getting produced more and I got hired from I got hired from uh, production companies to read scripts that they were thinking about putting money in, mm. you know, in those days, the turn of the century a lot of production companies would get together and call themselves an entity and they would give us scripts, script doctors, readers at the time before story builders to say, Terry, should I put money into this? Tell me about this script in those six areas that I talked about. Mm. And some of the scripts that I had the pleasure of working on actually got made and, uh, and all that was pretty much fun. Still is. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah, because you never know. I mean, I they told me, well, here's a script, and George Clooney set to direct this, and I want you to read it. It's called Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Mm. Tell us what you think about this, you know, and or I'd be in their office watching. Still, uh, computers weren't are they what they are now? I'd be watching a teleplay in the in the producer's office and have to give them spot on notes at that moment, or I could write it up, and they would ask me, "What do you think about it? Should I put money in it, Terry, or what? You know." So there was a little pressure there. You know? <laughs> it would make believe that there wasn't, but there was a little pressure. there. I, yeah, I imagine. So that's pretty cool. I mean, it's got to be a little difficult to say, you know, hey, this, this is being done by George Clooney. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's all that. So <laughs> that's definitely a lot of pressure. I particularly like that uh, that film called Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. I thought it was very well done. And the, the writing had so many things laid in there that they were foreshadowing. And I'm at about page 75 or so. And I'm like, I, I still don't understand. And then the things started to click. Click. Remember I set that up? Click. Remember I set that up? Click. I'm a spy. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. Click. <laughs> and I said, this is very good writing. I said, when I, when I was looking at that, the way this writer layered all that in and it started paying it off. Because when you foreshadow something, it's like the old saying, when you pull a gun out, it better go off somehow during that show. Right. Or something has to be dealt with. And it was done beautifully. And I just really liked it. It was a whole different feel and style. That's cool. So I, I'm curious, uh, you've been doing this for two decades. So like, what are the, the issues that you tend to come across with people who are uh, fresh out the gate, let's say. Okay. They have a good idea, but it's not fleshed out. Mm. You know, I mean, every Uber driver and barista at Starbucks has a good idea and they're happy to tell you about it. You know, <laughs> can I have a double mocha latte? Did you hear the one about this ghost that's in my cellar that reminds me of my mom who died 15 years ago and now she's coming back to get the money I owed her brother, you know? <laughs> so everybody has a good idea. But a good idea needs to be fleshed out and the elements need to be added. First of all, if you have a good idea, write it in a premise sentence. Tell me about it. Is there a conflict in there? What is the conflict? What is the antagonism? What is the character's weakness? What is the character's flaw? Can you give me two or three sentences? They call it an elevator pitch about what this is, and then I'll be interested. In it. But if you just have the idea and you're trying to write, well, you don't know exactly where you're going to go. You might get 40 good pages but then you may tend to get episodic because you don't have those elements in play. Mm. Yeah. That's what a lot of people do. They have, I got a great idea. Well, it's kind of like this, but sort of like that. Tell me about it. 
Okay, where's the conflict? Okay, what's the antagonism? Okay, you know, all of these things you want to be in there right at your press to get that going. So you can build your story, you can add your conflict, you can uh, add your, your structure and your elements and your reveals and all these things. So I would say they come out with a good idea, but you need to, you need to get to the craft. The craft is, is pretty much raw talent's great, but without the craft, you know, you're gonna be in circles. And okay, so how would you tell someone uh, freshly coming in, how do they develop uh, their stories? What resources would they, would they need in order to, to get from a great idea to a finished product? Right, you, you wanna, let's say it's a screenplay or a TV pilot. Now, what you wanna be doing as much as you can is to be reading other scripts, mm -hmm. mostly good ones, and start reading about what is in there. You wanna get involved in a writing group. You wanna get involved with some type of uh, a mentor or somebody better than you, perhaps classes, because you're gonna to need to know exactly what is the difference between story and structure and how do you weave them together? How do you weave a good story with great story points, the emotional journey with the structure, the outer journey? What are your obstacles? What are your plot points? What are your little wedges in between the plot points that are going to test the character? How are you going to test the character? So you want to be going to school. You want to be taking classes, but you want to be popping stuff out at the same time. I don't care if it's a 10-minute short. I don't care if it's a five-minute scene. Always be popping stuff out. And today, with today's day and age, you could put them on your YouTube channel. You could put them on anywhere make it, uh, you know, very short little scenes, but always be popping stuff out because you're going to get better by realizing what you're already doing well and then correcting what isn't working. That's why uh, you, you're always going to have a, a writing group where people are going to say, well, this is working, but this is not. And then you're going to learn, man, I just, I talk about history too much, way too much exposition. Then you're going to learn how to use exposition right, in right. your own voice, in your own voice. That's the most important thing. Yeah. And I noticed that uh, one of the, the taglines for the, the website is, you know, helping writers find their own unique voice. Uh, why is that so important? And also, why is it uh, seemingly so difficult for a lot of people? It's important because it's authenticity. It's right. important because it's believable because it's coming from you. It's, be, it's Voice is important because it's coming from your true life experience, how you see the world, how you see yourself in it and how you... Uh, how you get that across on the page. Like I'll give you an example. Say there's, there's, you could have a, a woman who uh, grew up with Santa Claus. Everything about Christmas is great for her, just loves it. And then you could have another woman who was traumatized by a, a guy who uh, molested her as she, as a kid who's disguised as Santa Claus. Mm. Now these two women are going to have quite a different uh, idea of the fat jolly man coming down the chimney. Okay. Right. Now that's going to predicate their voice and they're going to, every aspect about their life is about their life experiences. Some of it's on the page. Yeah. Your method of expression, but some of it is how you see everything like myself uh, growing up with a bit of childhood trauma. My, a lot of my themes are about getting what I did, what I didn't get as a kid. Like I wrote about a 35 year old guy who owns a copy shop and he starts to fall in love with a 19 year old girl who lives in the back of a U-Haul trailer. How come? Because he didn't get that when he was 19. He didn't get these needs met. Now at 35, he wants to go back 
all of my themes are like this and go back and get what he didn't get. That's my voice. That's thematically, that's my voice. But I want to take my voice into every aspect of it. How do I see that girl? What type of woman is she? Where does that come from? How are my life experiences pulling that across? Is she somebody that I never had in my life? Or is she another side of my mom or somebody like that? And if so, how am I getting that on a page in nuance? How, what, what is my, what am I centering on? What emotional life am I centering on? What am I looking at and how am I getting that across? It's isn't about, I mean, there is action involved. He comes into the back of the trailer. He has a half a beer there and he slams it down and says, you know, I just don't drink. I'm sorry. Where does that come from? You know, what is that nuance? So the method of expression, getting it on a page is part of it. But a lot of it is your true life experiences in every nuance. If you look at uh, Hoffa in The Irishman, I don't know if you saw The Irishman or not, but yes. Alien's depiction of the uh, Al Pacino character who played Hoffa is a whole lot different than David Mamet's uh, movie of 18 or 20 years ago when Jack Nicholson played Hoffa. He gave David Mamet gave Hoffa different sensibilities. He gave him a different way of moving. Generally, they're the same guy. Historically, they did the same things. But you saw how Mamet's voice differed from Zalian's in The Irishman. They were two different versions of here's Hoffa, the likable guy, the little daughter of uh, Frank's daughter likes him and all that. And Zalian brought all that out. Zalian centered on the goodness of him. Zalian centered on why this was 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 uh, a, a nice, charismatic guy. Zalian centered on how he was different than Frank himself with his real daughter where David Mamet centered on a little bit historical about it, a little bit about what's going on, a little bit about the tough guy in the street, the everyman, David Mamet talking about the everyman and I'll give you such a shot. And I'll give you a shot over here. You see the differences in the voice. Zalian knew that nuance, knew how to write that with his own experience because he lived it the same way as David Mamet. And if you look at Mamet's work, you'll see a lot of that. Go back to Glengarry Glenn Ross, Speed the Plow, all of that. You'll see how Mamet's voice and his beautiful language, which is something else, which is part of voice, stylistic language, all comes across. Now, it's important. Your question is, why is this important? It's important to distinguish you from another writer. How many gangster films are there? How many Batmans are made? <laughs> No. Right. And, and, and they all got to be different. They're all coming from a different voice. They're all centered. There's the dark night. There's the happy one. There's that old one from years and years ago in the sixties when they're skipping and jumping and, and making wise remarks and nobody believes it, but we love it. Right. All of that is voice. Camp is a style. Camp is a genre. Mm -hmm. Okay. Dramatic is a genre. Darkness, all of that. So I, I, I think voice has to be, once you get a little of your craft going, your voice is going to be there anyway. But when you see your voice, then you got to hone in and say, this is how I write. This is how I see the world. No matter, you could be writing about Shakespeare or, any, or, or an old West classic, your voice is going to come out in those characters and in in, in the way you see the world. And I think uh, uh, for beginners uh, like myself, uh, there's this tendency to try to emulate what's what's already out there. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like if you want to write a drama, you're 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 sort of going through this motion where you're like, okay, I gotta write the next uh I don't know, uh Little Women, or I gotta write the next Joker. Like 
how do you help a writer get out of that out of that moment and just say like look you can't do what other people have done or is there is there is there uh a room for that to be like hey you know if you want to depending on the genre does that work or is that you know what I'm saying? Is that is that helpful or is that is that a, a bad idea? What exactly for for a beginning writer? For a beginning writer, it's it's helpful to do that. It's helpful to try and copy things and and but you have to understand as a beginning writer that um, that's not your voice and you're learning. You're learning syntax. You're learning style. You're learning character. You're learning behavior. You're learning all of that. You're you know. But then you want to take a look at, well, if I was the Joker and I was put in, in a position like this, how would I react to my mom? How would I react to the stimuli? You know, what would be different than me? Would I be living in a tenement there? Or could this happened at, at, at a Penn State University sophomore year from being bullied? You know, where is your voice looking at? You want to take the idea and the premise of that. You want to take the themes that are yours and implement it in that, say, you're given a writing assignment. And they say, I want you to write something about a character who's a little delusional with his life to the point where he goes off the, the, the rails at the very end. And you're saying, well, I'm not going to be the Joker, but I'm going to set it myself junior year at Penn State when I didn't know what I was doing. Maybe I was drinking a little bit going on here. I didn't believe when the girls would say they really don't want to go out with you, Terry, you know, <laughs> and you would implement that. Now, you're still along the same premise, but you're allegorizing it to your voice where Phoenix came up, what you identify with. But it's okay at the beginning to try and copy scripts and everything, but realize that people are going to are going to know if you're going point by point and painting by numbers, they're going to say, this is not authentic. I don't believe it. How come? Because you're not the guy that wrote the Joker. You're not going to write the authentic dialogue. You're going to write what you think is authentic. But then 10 pages there, it's not going to be because your characters are inconsistent because they're not yours. Okay. So that's that's yeah, that's really good advice. Uh, I wanted to ask because uh, you do both television and film. So what is the difference uh, between writing for for television as opposed to writing for uh, feature films? Well, television doesn't stop. OK, there are installments that go every week. A feature film ends. You have a beginning, a middle and an end. And unless they're doing a sequel, that's going to be your story. You're going to have your uh, your synopsis, your treatment, and you're writing the script. Now you might write 10 or 12 drafts. You might, you might do that, but when you're finished, you're done. As in TV, you got to come up with another story from the story engine that you create every week. So you better have a pretty good story engine. You better have your characters either doing things that they're going to grow in, or they could stay the same. Like you look at Seinfeld and things like that. But when you look at the one hour procedurals, there's always a serialistic element of the relationship where they're going, how that's going. Yet they still uh, solve the crime every week. You better be able to come up with something like that that people are going to expect. Because when you watch a show, whatever maybe your favorite show is, I was watching that new show, Dave, on um, Hulu the other day. And I was watching it. Okay, here he is. He's this Jew- Jewish stand up comic guy. He's a rapper at the same time, a white guy. Here's what it is. It's very set up. Good. That's all. The next episode, okay, there he is again. He's moving forward. Sooner or later, they're moving about their life, no matter what their circumstances, but there's a story engine there that's going to produce a story every week that's compelling, that's the same but different, and is going to uh, continue to have you coming back every week 
to watch that. In TV, you got to be able to go the distance. You got to realize that you're going to be writing eight, 10, 12, depending on, on uh, how many, whatever they buy. And you better be able to produce that. So it, it just doesn't end. It just get, which is good. It's right, good right. if it doesn't end. There's more stories, there's more work and there's more money for you. <laughs> That's very true. I mean, I, I would imagine that it's a lot, a lot more difficult because like you said, the story doesn't end. Um, it's more serial. And, uh, and I feel like that's definitely one of the toughest things to write. So what, are, what when someone's pitching a pilot, what exactly is uh, the things that you think will give it longevity? Well, you want to have a good series Bible along with you when you're pitching. You know, okay. you want to be, again, you're taking your voice, how you see the world, your life. You want to take a look at the cultural elements of the day. If if, if they are uh, relevant to your story, you might be writing a, a 1960s uh, period piece or something. You look at Mad Men or something like that. Now, you still want to get your voice in there, the method of expression, the way you see the world and the characters. But you want to also be able to uh, write things that are going to continue to go week after week. You want to have a, a, a great uh, set of characters with relationships that are going to build. You want to have a great... Um, something different. You want to have something different yet the same. Okay. Say they're bank robbers. Mm -hmm. And and what they do is they're con men and they're bank robbers. Well, what's different about that? We've seen that a hundred times, you know, maybe the one guy is uh, like colorblind or another guy might be bipolar or a woman can't stop talking, you know, and now you, now we're looking at a comedy of bank robbers and every week they're robbing banks Let's say, okay, now we're coming up. With, I'm coming up with a theme now. I'm coming up with a Robin Hood theme. Every week, they're robbing banks so they can give money to help the, the children with, uh, you know, diabetes or Black Lives Matter or any causes that they're going to. Mm-hmm. You know? So you want to be able to make sure that that's relevant, that's different, yet the same, and that this can go the distance. You know, your conventions want to be different. Everything that you're going to do, your exposition, the way you talk about the past has to be different and of your voice. It still has to be exposition, but it has to be done in a way that only Phoenix did. You know, instead of a flashback with talking heads, how are you getting information across that's relevant today? You know, and and then having a great pitch Bible, having a great written pitch Bible along with it, because when you're in a room pitching, you're going to miss stuff. You're not going to get everything. Like I'm talking to you now and I'm like, I know 17 other things that I can't come up with at the moment. I could look at my notes, but I don't want to, you know? (laughs) So when you have a pitch Bible and everything's laid out there, your world, the tone of your world, the characters and relationships, how the characters work with each other, where they come from, their backstory. Okay. A synopsis in there in your, in your pitch Bible, a pretty good synopsis, eight or 10 episode ideas that are in there. All of that stuff's going to be in there and different. A, a lot of different allegories. Why you have to write it? Why do you have to write this, Phoenix? Why does this story have to be told? Why are you the only guy that can tell it? Tell me that. Tell me. You got to be able to tell me that. And if you and if you pitch it and you miss something, well, you have a eight or ten page pitch bible backing everything up. You could rest assured when you're going driving home in your car. It goes, oh, I didn't say that, but it's in the Bible. <laughs> so you want to you really want to cover yourself when you go in there. Depending on the show and so many different genres. If it's a talk show, not so much of a big Bible, but enough. Right. right. And so like 
those are the series Bibles. Those are uh, basically the, the, the backgrounds of all your characters, the ideas behind the story and all of that. And story those are, engine, your story engine. Yeah. And the proof that your show can pump out 80 or 100 episodes. Mm. Prove me, prove to me that, that you, you can pump out 80 or 100 episodes. How are you going to do that? And you do that in the Bible. You start even at the characters. You know, here's Miguel. He's a pretty good guy, but he lost a load of money back at the uh, last crash. He's married to Martha. She's really not into him anymore. And since there's no money, she doesn't know what to do. But she does like her his buddy Manuel or Mosquel. You know what I mean? Right. Now I'm, I'm laying in stuff that every episode is going to build on. Mm-hmm. And you're going to do that in your pitch Bible. Your pitch Bible from page one is a build. It's a build. So when they're reading it and they get to the synopsis, they're going to say, well, of course. Well, I can see that. Oh, yeah, that would work. I knew that was going to happen. They're right there with you because the, everything, every page is a build to the next. Mm. Okay. So I like that. So I know when it came to me as, as, a, as a screenwriter, uh, working through a, a, an idea or whatever, half the time you just quit. And, and because it's just too much and you're not exactly sure if you're on the right path. So like, uh, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that because it's like that whole time we were really just building. We hadn't written anything. We were really right. building. So, uh, it's nice to know that that is part of the process, uh, for a writer. Um, I wanted to ask, so you've seen so many scripts, obviously in your two decades doing this, what has been some of the, your favorites that you've, personally help uh see from script to screen well i kind of liked years ago there was a script that came out called the good girl mike white wrote that with jennifer aniston was in that and i really uh that was one that i really liked about they were she was in a like a, a, a dollar store she had a job and everything was taking place there and i really liked the way that story was told i also liked uh the Eye Inside, Al Pacino was in that one. But then there's some that I talk about that uh, are not big names that I like, too, about there was a woman who uh, hurt herself in a skiing accident when she was a kid, and her she couldn't walk for a couple of years, so she studied. She got great with computers. Her family liked her. She became very, very, uh, very, very proficient. Her grandfather, who was in World War II and was in a, a Nazi camp at the end of it, when the Germans were goofy and they were losing and they would watch, they would watch uh, these, these, what are they called? These movies, not horror movies, but they're like these movies about monsters and all this other stuff. And then what I liked about it was the way that she, her voice, the way that she took her affliction and her wound into the whole story. See her wound is that everybody Molly her. So when they actually did get invaded, this slacker town of Slobokin, when it did get invaded, she had to do what she never wanted to do, and that was to ask other people for help. Uh, so we got our themes, we got the voice, we got the story, we got where the story came from, we got the exposition, all of it was in there. And I like, it. they might be giants, I like that just because it was so fresh and so original. 
And I had worked with another writer, another uh, woman about seven times who had just a wonderful voice, popped it out script after script after script, enjoyed reading it just from the point of view, the story, if it was a fantasy, every element was fantastical. That means if she drove up to a stop sign, the stop sign would wave to her or things <laughs> like that. That's her voice. That's her world. That's how she sees it. So that's enjoyable when you see that. Uh, that does sound pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's fun. That's cool. Uh, so earlier we were talking off screen. So what have uh, been some of your favorite uh, screenplays of the past few years of, of 2020? What exactly stood out to you? Well, 2020, I, a couple of them that I watched. And uh, first of all, people were saying, well, it was a really they, not boring, but they say it was a downer. Like you're looking at Nomad Land, or you're looking at uh, was it the Billy Holiday? Was it was it Billy Holiday when they were they were looking at her drug use and all that this past year? I think that was the name of it. I like that one too. I watched that. I like that one for the honest depiction of it. I mean, the honest depiction of what this woman went through was 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 coming off very well, and I like that. And I watched the nuance of it, and I particularly enjoyed that. I also like Nomad Land. Just because of the, they were able to infuse what I would say almost reality TV into a movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, when they were out in those campers, the guy that was running the, the gig, that was his real job. I also like the structural components that it went non-Hollywood. That means when she was, the love story was she saw him once or twice, but she went about her business, which is what real people do, especially in that situation. Right. right. I know. It wasn't now we have a love storyline and they're glued Right. You know, I like that. A lot of people say, well, didn't you find it depressing and boring? And I said, well, that's not what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. I wasn't looking for that. And if you found that, then there's a the tonal element hit the key because that was part of the theme and the tone. A 60 year old woman is now off on her own doing trying to do things all of a sudden over again, going, having this trek and having this journey. So I really like those two movies. And I'll go back to my favorite movie in the last two years is Joker. Mm-hmm. When I saw Joker, I was like, I was, that's my stuff. That's a, here's a, here's a guy that came from trauma. Now, I mean, I, I, I don't have it like that. And I did a lot of work on my own, right. but I could see every page. I, mean, I could see every page, man, I could write that. That's my stuff. That is my stuff. I love the character. I love the way it went. I love his delusion at the same time with the girl across the hall. Remember that if you saw that. And I love the way it worked out and it all made sense to me. I thought that was the best film. I still think that's the best film I've seen in the last couple of years. And I have the screenplay and read that a couple of times too. And I said, this writing, this writing is, is beautiful. Right. Well, uh, speaking of 2020, uh, it was a difficult year due to the pandemic. So um, we're starting to somewhat come out of it, uh, but it is still dragging its feet in some areas. I'm curious how you think uh, the pandemic itself has um, impacted storytellers, uh, at least for the foreseeable future. Well, it's slowed it down in one sense because there's a lot of stories that are going to be reminiscent of it. There's going to be stories that uh, are going to talk about that time, how things are changing and how things slowed down and what we have to watch out for. There's going to be a lot of thematic things talking about. Let's not repeat the history. Let's take a look at this. There's going to be things. What did we learn from this? 
all of that's going to come out. I think from what I'm reading now and in the, in the industry, the industry is starting to pick up again. I do believe that there'll be measures in place, but there's a lot of measures that have been in place in the last five years. There's uh, all of the, the political things and the political themes and the cultural differences and uh, and just the, the way that it evolved is a whole lot different than, I don't know if a Scorsese Goodfellas might have a little trouble getting made now 30 years later. <laughs> the way with the language and the dialogue and all of that. So those changes are there. I do think, however, that there's a lot of room to grow in that forum and in that whole canvas. I also think that the film industry uh, can come back again stronger. Now, there's a lot going on on networks and Netflix and everybody has a YouTube channel, but everybody doesn't have the goods that are going to be, that are, that, that are needed. You know, it's like 20 years ago, people did, uh, they, I forget what they were called out in the theater where you brought people in to see you from the industry. And now you have the same thing, but it's electronic. It's on a computer, you know, the, the good stuff, the cream is always going to rise to the top. And I, I do believe that. And I think people are going to take some chances because I'd say 2020, because of all of the, the slower movies, people are calling them, I think people are going to say, okay, that kind of worked, but let's get back to a whole different way of looking at things. And let's get back to what we do well. We took a shot, we got up, let's get back at it, and let's keep this in mind. And then the antiheroes are not going to keep it in mind, they're going to go against it, and we want that too. Right. We right. want that too. <laughs> So I think it'll blossom if it's done correctly. Well, I think also, I mean, we're looking at a situation where you, you know, you've been in this industry for, for over two decades. Um, you know, with the advent of streaming and as many streaming yeah. services that we have, it's both more opportunities, I think, for screenwriters, but are they better opportunities? Or like, was it, was it better just to have a studio system? How do you see that uh, from your perspective? Uh, like I said a moment ago, I still think the cream's going to rise to the top. Everybody has a forum. But if you look on Facebook and you look on YouTube, they might have like 400 viewers or something like that. You know, the cream is going to rise to the top. And the cream means that you have to be talented. You have to have a good story. You have to have a compelling story. You have to have a story that people want to see. It even goes back to years ago. Sling Blade, when I was coming up as a young man, Sling Blade was just a short film. I don't know if you saw Sling Blade, but it, it, it then became a, a feature film. But how many short films were being made there? How many people were doing Swingers? Remember Swingers? I do remember Swingers. The ones that came up when I was a kid coming up. Swingers. <laughs> everybody wanted to do a Swingers, but did everybody make a Swingers? Right. No. Why? Why didn't everybody make a Swingers, do you think? Yeah. Uh, well. The, the best, the best of the best. Everybody didn't make a Swingers because everybody maybe thought they could, right? but they didn't have the voice. They didn't have, there were components of it missing that it wasn't good enough or like Sling Blade. I say it's the same thing. Now we have a giant forum, you know, and everybody's taking home movies like they did when our dads were around in the sixties and fifties and seventies and stuff like that. I think it's still going to be about quality and you're still going to be able to get in there. We have a lot of people doing it. There's a video. My, my little niece is doing videos and popping them up left and right. So there's a lot, there's a lot of content out there, but the cream is going to rise to the top. Now you, you need to do your homework. 
You need to be marketing. You need to be looking at who likes your stuff. You need to be getting it out and say, hey, there's, but it's great to have a YouTube channel. I'm like, hey, here's my YouTube channel. Boom. I just did an interview with Phoenix where we talked about that. There's a seven minute clip on it. You want to hear it? Bam. You know, it's good to know what you're talking about and and have quality stuff. The cream is always going to rise to the top. There's going to be just like anything else. Everybody's going to jump on the bus. But if you're not doing your homework and you don't have something to say and you're not saying it differently, well, when it, you might win a few contests or get an honorable mention, but to compel people, we're talking about compelling people, having people feel something emotionally, even if it's an anti-hero, it doesn't matter. That's what we're talking about. And that is what people are going to look at before they put money into it. Right. And remember that when you're pitching, remember that when you're out to pitch your, your, your film. And so let's say you have someone uh, starting out and they put in the work and they, they slave away for months on end and they finally finish their screenplay. What do they do with it then? Where do they take it? Well, they, they want to make sure that they're, they have people around them. First of all, you want to have a support system. You want to have a support system for everything that you're doing. That one of the one of the ways could be like a writing group. Have a writing group support system. People that were giving you notes for those seven or eight months. Have a networking group. Other writers that are out there doing it. Okay. Have a networking group. People you can go back and forth with. Have have a couple Facebook groups. People that you can post with. These are just elementary things. These, this is your support system because the rejection boat might be on the way. So <laughs> now. Do you need an agent? I don't know. Maybe you need an agent. If you need an agent, then you want to start to to write a synopsis. You want to start to get a little one pager going and you want to start hitting that route. Who makes movies that you sort of like the genre that you did? Are there anybody that does it? Do you want to get it produced? Do you want to produce it or do you want to sell it? Now, there's three questions there. Do you want an agent to push you or do you want to go and find a, a young hot director who who does things that you along the same lines as you do, you know, go on the IMDB pro and start looking at people who uh, are in the same genre as you, who have made films like you, you might not get the top 500. You might have to go to somebody younger, like 35 years old, who's been doing shorts after shorts after shorts. And now he's looking for a feature and you have something that fits into the type of thing he wants. You're going to send him a query letter with a little pitch and maybe a one pager attached to get him to read it. Okay. This is a process that you're going to go. You're going to be going to uh, networking events. You're going to be talking about it. You're going to be asking people, Hey, what do you do? What can, what do you do? Oh, I do that. Or I'll help you here. You help me there. Here's my premise line. Here's my thing. Have an elevator pitch in your pocket. If somebody asks you, what are you writing? Can you tell them in 60 or 70 seconds what it is enough to compel them to say, send that over. All right. Send it over Phoenix. Send it over. <laughs> you know? So that would be the thing. I mean, that's a lot of work right there. I've worked with people who have finished the scripts, but don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. Some people. Oh, now I have to get people to read it. But I finished it. Why come they're not calling? (laughs) Why ain't they calling? You know, but that's a pretty big deal. What I just described doing all of that. But that's what the modern day screenwriter who probably has another job. Right. Has to do. Yeah. Okay, and that does that. being supported. You you want to have people around you that are supportive of you, right? There's too many people that are going to say can't do it, Phoenix. That's very true. 
Yeah, that's very true. Okay, so I'm curious then, who are your personal favorite uh, screenwriters? Well, Shane Black I like, but overall my my favorite is, uh, I'm a Scorsese guy. I always have been a Scorsese guy. Uh, I like, uh, even my my comedy goes back to people like Neil Simon, you know, uh, things like that. I've always been, uh, I I like about half of what Tarantino does. What he what he does about about half of the movies that he do does I really like you know I like the chances that he's taken I like innovators people who are innovative filmmakers and writers like when Scorsese was coming up with with all of the way he his voice is so in there that he lived amongst that and he had a a regular cast that he used a lot but just the improvising when you go back and and you look at Goodfellas when you look at the way that he he did that particular movie when you look at the King of Comedy how different that was and how that voice was, was coming out. You know, I, I personally like that. I like David Mamet is probably one of my favorite writers. Cause I write stylistically. I've been producing the theater about a hundred times and I have a stylistic way of writing just like David Mamet. Now I don't go as uh, he, he probably throws a few more F bombs around than I do. You know, I, I don't go that way, but these are people that I've always liked just the way they write wonderful writing like that like mike white the guy who wrote the good girl things like that i'm i'm for that and these are some of the people that are favorites of mine as far as the, the screenwriting tv i like aaron sorkin uh you know uh, i i, I kind of like again he's a dialogue guy who came from the theater like me so i'm attracted to that and and you know i just that's the kind of thing that that gets me going yeah yeah i'm sort of sort of similar the same way as a as a dialogue guy as uh, Trial of Chicago 7 was probably one of my favorite movies of the past year. There you uh, go. Yeah. yeah. I'm a big Sorkin guy, and I loved uh, uh, his show, Newsroom, was it? Was it Newsroom? Yeah, it was Newsroom. Did you remember that from 20 years ago, Newsroom? I love that show. You're watching Newsroom? That's good. Yeah, it was a really great show. Really great Head show. of its time. Head of its time. Way ahead of its time. I think it deserved... Uh, it deserved another season, definitely. But uh, it was one of those shows where... It it needed to be needed to it, it it really needed to come out later than it did because it was so reflective of the time that we were in and I think oh he was back, ahead of it yeah ahead of the curve yeah I think looking back at it would have been would have been tremendously helpful for that for that show but it was a great fantastic show yeah, um, so yeah I'm curious now then what are you uh currently working on and what exactly are you uh hoping to come out of in the next in in the people that you're working with right now well i have writers that i'm working with and i uh there's a guy that i worked with last year who's probably shooting by now he was going to shoot at the end of the uh pandemic and i i worked with him working on a whole script i worked with another writer uh i worked with several other writers on their tv pilots and stuff and I, when I work with them, it's it's not just one document. Where I'm working on a pilot with them. I'm working on a pitch with them. I'm developing with the uh, with the one gentleman. I was with him for six months developing it. And I'm all for them, you know, continuing on after they leave me. And I'd like to see them succeed. I truly feel the one guy's already on it. He's already doing uh, marketing videos. He's already setting up. He's going to direct it. Personally, I got three pitches of my own and I do a little talk show right now called Backstory where I talk to uh, writers and artists 
about what they're doing. I have that show. Then I have another show that I'm pitching called Life Coaches and Rockstars that I wrote. It's a, it's a TV show. And I have another one called uh, Universal Chords about five people who are uh, working in a, like a guitar shop and they're divorced and all, all of this. She, she pays the money now. She's part of it, but she doesn't know how to play anything. All of these kind of things. This is a comedy. But, <clears throat> but I'm bringing in present day elements to it and keeping everything musical. So I have all of that going on in my own stuff and I'm a speaker and uh, I hope to open that up a little bit more now that the pandemic is over. Absolutely. I think it's over. Yeah. <laughs> I, hope it's over. I hope it's over. Right. We all be hope over. It's over. Be over. <laughs> Unmask yourself. I, I wanted to ask too. Uh, so I'm curious. Uh, I don't know how many script doctors there are out there. I, I imagine a few, but I'm always curious when something is, you know, greenlit and it's made and then it comes out and it's not well received. How does, how does a, a, a show or, or movie or whatever go from its screenplay to, to being made and somehow loses whatever magic it had that, uh, that made people willing to put money in behind it? How does that happen? The collaboration process, that's exactly how that happens, okay? A writer may be satisfied with his script and sell it. Now, after you sell it, are you done? Or are you a part of it? Okay, because if you sell it and now a, another director has it and a production team has it and other creative people are going to come in, they're going to have, they might have a different vision of it than you do. You know, they might have a different tone in mind than you do. And if they have different tones going on and it's not, it's not in sync, then you're going to have issues with the movie. However, if the writer sells it, now he's on board, he's a consultant and everything, well, then you could get in there. But you have a collaboration process. Then you have the editing process. How are they cutting it? What kind of movie is there? And again, it gets back to the tone. It gets back to the tone. What is the tone? What is the feel? Is the writer's original voice being honored? And is the integrity of the original script still being uh, on the screen? Is that being voiced? But it all goes back to collaboration because it's not just the writer. Once, once this thing's getting ready to go, you got a cinematographer going, you know what? I see long shots. You know, I see them coming around the corner like this and, 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 and the director's looking at it a different way. It's pretty much going to be the director's vision once it gets time to put that thing up and start shooting. Now, if the writer's on as a consultant, then they could collaborate like Scorsese did with, 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 with people that, uh, that he writes with. You know, he's right there doing it. Plus, he has a great director who knows him. I mean, editor who knows him at the end and sitting there with him frame by frame by frame, collaborating. You want to have a great collaboration process. Clint Eastwood's great for that. All his movies are good. He has great collaborators on there. That's the deal. You know, that's the deal. A lot of writers that I know and speak with just want to sell their projects, and that's good. Maybe it gets made. Maybe it's made for TV thing. Maybe it's a little thing. Maybe it's an independent project. You know, some writers want to be on board, but it's all about collaboration when you get down to it. Yeah. And I'm curious. So in that in that process, you know, if you're a writer who who sells something and, and it, it doesn't turn out well, how difficult is it to sell something again after that? Or is it? Well, 
it, it probably not that difficult. I mean, you're going to get it looked at again, but everybody has bombs. Now you don't want to have two in a row though. <laughs> hey. Okay. We'll let one slide because bad movies happen. You yeah. know what? You don't want to have two or especially three in a row. After that happens, then, then you're a one hit wonder. You know, you want to be able to knock it out. You want to be able to make sure that everything on that page is singing. You, you want to send it to people like me and, and let's go over it and all of that. But again, once it gets to the collaboration process, you better have learned from the first time around what not to do. Right. You know, you know, you need to know what not to do because if it happens twice and they could see in production, they might even cancel it. The film might not happen. You know, all of that. You want to be careful about that. So. Wow. All right. That's very good advice. <laughs> oh, thanks. All right. Well, Terry, I want to thank you so much once again for coming on uh, Film Code and talking scripts with us. Uh, this has been an eye-opening experience, definitely for me. Uh, hopefully in the future, I'll uh, get to send you one of my scripts one day. That would be, that would be oh, a dream. good. Congratulations <laughs> on that. I'm happy to do your podcast. Thanks for asking me. Uh, www.storybuilderswrite.com. Write like you're a writer. Right. <laughs> and, uh, happy to be here. I had a good time here. I'm drinking my soda. <laughs> Ready to go. So thank you very much, Phoenix. Happy to be here. Thank you, Terry. I appreciate it. Once again, uh, Terry McFadden, uh, script doctors, uh, story analysts, and hopefully uh, future fan of Phoenix Cloud. <laughs> That's it, buddy. That's it. All right. All right. Thank you, Terry. I appreciate it, man. Have a good Thanks, day. Thanks, Phoenix.